the Anesthesia Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Anesthesia Podcast. My name is Emer Keen and I'm an editorial fellow with Anesthesia. Today we have the pleasure of discussing the article Preoperative Gastric Ultrasound in Patients at Risk of Pulmonary Aspiration, a prospective observational cohort study. So this is a really interesting piece of research that sheds light on the area of gastric ultrasonography in a perioperative setting. I am delighted to be joined today by two of the authors of the paper. So we have Dr. Sasha Batig, who's a resident at the Department of Anesthesia, Kant Hospital, Winterthur in Switzerland. And then Dr. Hello, good Dr. Mark, Dr. Mark Filofovic, who's a resident at the Department of Anesthesia and Pain Medicine in Selspital, Bern University in Bern, Switzerland. Hi. So welcome to you both, and thank you so much for taking part in this podcast today. So to start off the discussion, can you please summarize the paper for our readers? Yes, of course. So to, to begin with, I think we strongly believe that the preoperative testing guidelines nowadays are far too general especially for um, our increasing sick patient populations or patients at risk for pulmonary aspiration. And therefore, we aimed for a like, more specific and individualized approach in these patients. So what we did is actually we trained our host staff in uh, preoperative pre uh, gastric ultrasound. And uh, we included over 2,000 patients with at least one uh, risk factor for pulmonary aspiration. And uh, we actually performed uh, these ultrasounds and we wanted to see how many of these patients uh, present with an at-risk stomach. And also our main goal was to see whether it changed um, our anesthetic management. And indeed, uh, we were able to show that it changes anesthetic management in about one-fifth of patients. And thereof, like uh, almost three quarters could have been managed in a more uh, liberal approach. Maybe I can give also a quick uh, example. Like, for example, a patient that presents at the emergency department with a traumatic injury and the need of urgent surgery. So there are many factors uh, that determine the risk of aspiration of these patients, for example, like pain or opioids or even the, the time between the trauma and the surgery, time between the last meal and the trauma, comorbidities. And it's a highly clinical decision in the end. And we believe that like the gastric ultrasound was a really easy tool, um, can really individualize anesthesia care and finally also improve patient safety and for me it's like the key advantage of this technique is really to deliver an objective information and the, so the anesthesia staff not only has to decide um, about the traditional risk factors the meal status and has really an objective uh, information plus in the end. Yeah, I, th I thought it was a really fascinating study. And I think that whole concept of that, when you use the gastric ultrasound, that it led to a more liberal approach 
in the majority of, of patients that you found um, that 19% of them are one in five, you would change management and most of them were to a liberal approach. And that was really interesting for me anyway, as, as an editor and a reader. And I also really liked that it was carried out in kind of a real world in a clinical setting in your institution. So that was really interesting. Right. Um, but before this, I think this was one of the biggest studies to date in gastric ultrasound in a clinical setting. But prior to this, so what is the background on the study or what is the current literature saying on gastric ultrasound? So maybe I can start um, a bit of background of the, the incidence or the frequency of the pulmonary aspiration. Um, there was just a recent large Chinese study, like I think two years ago, which showed that the, the incidence uh, hasn't really changed over the last decades. I think it's, there is a bit fewer um, pulmonary aspirations in the elective setting, but in the emergency setting, it's still frequent. And also the mortality and morbidity of pulmonary aspiration stays high. So I think the, the real endpoint is still relevant in anesthesia care. And uh, gastric ultrasound has emerged uh, about 10 years ago as a field of focus. And uh, a lot of research has been done here, and it has been shown to be quite an easy technique, easy to learn, fast, and also very reliable in assessing uh, gastric uh, residual content, volume, and uh, quality and quantity, both. And therefore, it uh, provides like an objective approach uh, to assessing individual risk. Um, concerning guidelines in the 2022 ESA guidelines, it has been included for children as an optional tool uh, for assessing this uh, risk of aspiration, but not in adults. Yeah, uh, so far. Yeah, so far. Yeah, I think absolutely. So the, it's kind of limited. Prior to this study, it was limited, really, the data that was that was available on gastric ultrasound. And as you were saying, most anesthetists are using clinical assessment for um, to assess for pulmonary aspiration. And it's obviously one of the dreaded complications for an anesthetist is a pulmonary aspiration. So gastric ultrasound is really a new and up and coming tool that we can use. Um, but was there anything that made you decide to carry out this study? Like, why do you think that the research that you've done is important? So I think with the findings of our study, we really strongly believe that the uh, gastric ultrasound um, as a point of care examination will become standard in care in the next years and also will find uh, its way into the guidelines in the adult population, to be honest. And uh, you've already answered it uh, a bit for us. So actually, uh, I think we all like aspire to provide a safe and evidence-based medicine. And uh, when it comes to such an important topic like aspiration, we just uh, rely on one-size-fits-all fasting guidelines or uh, on our gut feeling in the end. And um, we really think that gastric ultrasound can like um, provide a more objective uh, picture when it comes to this very important topic. And so this is uh, why we think that it can show a way to a more uh, personal and individualized uh, care. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely it, isn't it? That it kind of gives us more of an informed decision and then feeds into that idea, whole idea of personalized medicine, which is really up and coming. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So I think in your study, you managed to recruit a huge cohort of patients, so 2,000 patients in, in a single centre. But at the same time, it was a single-centred perspective observational study. So what measures were taken when you were planning the study design to reduce the risk of bias in this study? So uh, one thing we did is we really uh, standardized the ultrasound technique. And uh, we also um, looked at previous lit literature and we didn't like go our own way. So we didn't really to a standardized uh, method. Also, um, we had extensive training for all um, the participants. And also we always had uh, supervision or someone in the background who was able to to help whenever the the ultrasound picture wasn't really clear. Yeah, I think uh, as Mark already mentioned, our focus really was on the on the training and supervision, um, which was there um, not all the time, but uh, we managed. Uh, quite a lot of supervision and it also I think the study protocol it was not um, compared to other studies uh, in gastric ultrasound it was not like academic or in um, with like healthy volunteers it was really like um, pure clinical and it was um, also relevant for the practice I, uh, I think so the, our study protocol maybe can implement it easily um, in other institutions, and uh, I'm sure there would be similar findings, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There were previous smaller studies, and uh, they had comparable rates. So we really think it is a very, very practical approach to gastric ultrasound and very generalizable. Yeah, great. And I think that's something that we at the journal really liked about this study. It was like the methodology that you trained up a huge amount of anesthetists within your department to use gastric ultrasound and then found very measurable results with it. So it was real life clinical data, which was really interesting. But when you were doing the study and then you were collecting the results, were there any results that particularly surprised you or were there results that you hadn't expected to come up? Well, for me, what was really surprising was that uh, the prevalence of high-risk stomachs was not exactly, but uh, very comparable um, in in both elective and uh, emergency surgery patients, and uh, we had some high risk factors like, like gastrointestinal obstruction, which is a very traditional risk factor which was associated with high uh, high risk stomach. But there were a lot of um, factors in between, um, which were not that clear uh, when it comes to assessing risk. And actually the same goes uh, for the protective effects of uh, fasting. It was also not very clear that it uh, provides a real benefit for this for these patients. And I think this is the more important now that we also focus on the negative effects of fasting, especially in children, but also in adults. What for me was maybe um, also surprising, I can remember a lot of like individual patient situation I remember, for example, a patient that had a, a surgery in the morning, a, a large surgery, and in the afternoon he had the need of an urgent surgery because of an acute bleeding. And so we did some gastric ultrasound, and there was a lot of liquid in his uh, in his stomach, and we did like uh, an awake gastric tube and suctioned there for more than one liter of gastric fluids, and the patient he had had no food or no drink for almost. 24 hours and 
for me, these are the surprising results. Sometimes I remember a lot of uh, these clinical situations that we were like, um, yeah, thanks to this technique we saw or we could prevent um, further um, um, situations, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the the real finding in this study is that even with fasting, you could still have a very high risk stomach. And I think as an anesthetist, we often find when we're running an emergency list, the patients will come down and they might be fasting for kind of 12 hours or longer, which is obviously very detrimental for them physiologically and psychologically. And then to find that they still might have a high risk stomach is very interesting. And then I, obviously the converse is true that maybe we're fasting them for too long. And if we just use gastric ultrasound, we would be able to confidently then use um, an superglottic airway device over rapid sequence induction, which would obviously expose our patients to much fewer risks. Um, so it's definitely a really interesting finding in this study. And I think one thing that I found interesting when I was reading it was that the number of high-risk aspirations in both elective and um, emergency patients, there were it was only 14% of patients for elective surgery and then 21% for emergency surgery. Were you shocked by this figure or was that kind of the results that you would have expected for these patients? Well, um, just to clarify, all of these uh, patients had at least one risk factor, so they weren't like very all... Uh, completely healthy um so they had some risk factors but still um, we didn't expect the number to be that high i mean we had a feeling that the number wouldn't be zero uh, i mean from daily clinical practice you know that it isn't that way um but it really it really raises the question whether these um well, one-size-fits-all fasting guidelines are really applicable to all our patients. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even like with the elective patients, they were all presumably fasting and still 14% of them have the high-risk stomach. Mm -hmm. So it just encourages people to maybe go and learn to use gastric ultrasound and use it in a clinical setting on the elective patients first and then maybe moving on to emergency patients. Absolutely. So um, just in terms of thinking about the future of this area, it's obviously a very interesting area and I think it is really up and coming, but are there any areas that you have thought for future research or are there any, any areas you think might be worth pursuing in the future? Uh, well, yes, of course. I mean, generating outcome data on aspiration is, uh, I'd say, nearly impossible due to uh, the very heterogeneous uh, definition and also the rarity of the event. Um, but still, um, I mean, I think we could think of a of a large prospective court, which would also assess uh, patient endpoints, so really the rate of aspirations, which would ultimately um, serve as a as a as a hard sign whether this te technique really increases safety. And also um, concerning the technique, uh, there are some signs that we can also perform uh, gastric ultrasound uh, in a supine position or a head elevated position, which uh, at least uh, for a quality um, assessment is enough. And I think that would also make our um, this technique uh, uh, open for new patients. And uh, then the third thing, uh, which I think could also be interesting, is uh, implementing all those findings into new guidelines. I think also about um, 
uh, obstetric surgery excluded that in our study now to, of logistical reasons. Um, I think it's a high-risk population. Um, there is some literature, but uh, I think um, there may be some other um, findings that uh, are interesting or other questions in this uh, high-risk population. And for me, maybe also some uh, new um, risk factors. Um, I'm thinking about pain or stress um, that could be... Um, uh, analyzed if they have uh, an impact on gastric emptying time or um, at the risk of pulmonary aspiration in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was something that was obviously excluded from your study was like the, the pregnant patient or the other patients who are high risk were not studied. So it's definitely an area that is open for further research. And then moving back to what, what Mark, you were saying about pulmonary aspiration, that's obviously the clinical endpoint that we want to see an improvement in. But because it is so rare, it's you'd need a huge cohort of patients, much lighter than the cohort of patients that you had in your study, to see if there was any measurable improvement in pulmonary aspiration. And in your study, were there any rates of pulmonary aspiration or what did we see? Um, well, actually, we didn't systematically assess uh, for this endpoint. Um, but um, we didn't have any evident aspirations uh, in this setting where we allowed uh, clinical upgrading. Yeah. So, which means a more conservative management. Yeah, excellent. But I think at, at this point, that's all the questions that we have time for. Um, but thank you both so much for taking part in the podcast today. I'd obviously like to encourage all of our readers, if you haven't already done so, to read this really important and very well-designed paper. Um, so thank you. Thank you once again. And thank you also for choosing to publish your um, research with anesthesia. Thank you for having us Thanks. and the very enjoyable and interesting review process. Thank you very much. The Anesthesia Podcast.